All right, good evening. Welcome, welcome. Turn with me, if you would, in uh, our look at spiritual gifts. Um, I'm going to pick up where we left off last week and kind of move forward a little bit. I want to get to the end of the notebook and, and tie this together tonight. Um, we've been in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and we've been dealing with all of these giftedness issues. And I think it's useful to see chapter 12, 13, and 14 as a unit in, uh, in the overall message of 1 Corinthians. It helps us to not get lost in love, right? The love paragraph of Romans of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is essentially, it is a spiritual gift development within the larger framework. See, if I uh, speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so it uses what I call, it's hyperbole is what it is. I have other labels for it, but it uses the language of extreme. It carries things to such a far extent that it's unimaginable in, in human terms. You know, the most eloquent of all human speakers, um, you know, speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. So try to imagine the most eloquent speaker ever to, to grace this earth, uh, yet minus love. Without agape in his ministry, it's useless. See, Likewise, in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Let's say you, you, your, your grasp of doctrine is so great that you're practically omniscient. You know everything, but you're minus love. Okay? Again, useless. And so it uses this language of extreme to highlight the necessity of love in every application. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains... You know, such is the gift of faith that you can rearrange the geography of the planet. Um, but minus love, it's useless. And so uh, in all of these examples here, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, um, you can carry everything to the most imaginable extreme or unimaginable extreme, and, and that will count as nothing in the judgment seat of Christ because minus love, there's no rewardability. And so this is essential in, with respect to all of our giftedness, with respect to all of our, uh, the exercise of our gifts, the pursuit of our ministries, or the achievement of our effects. All right, so last week we were dealing with that, talking about the cessation of gifts. And um, were there any follow-up questions to that or any, um, anything related to why prophecy uh, is done away, why knowledge is done away, why tongues ceases and tongues as the odd duck in that pattern. It's the one that's different. It's not the one that uh, is, is replaced by the canon of Scripture. It's the one that has a different conclusion to its purpose, that being the destruction of Jerusalem. But as far as prophecy and knowledge and all those other sign gifts, the temporary gifts, the apostolic gifts, all those concluded with the uh, perfect coming, that is the perfect uh, revelation, where we no longer have the in-part, in-part realities. I think it's, it's fun to, to work through these things and just get people thinking about these things. You know, thinking about when, when is knowledge gone? Does that mean we don't know anything anymore? Okay, well, I know a few things. So does that mean knowledge is, is, is gone? It's, it's abolished? What does that mean? No, it's part of that in part, in part. We know in part, we prophesy in part. And that's what's going away. That's what's done away with when the perfect comes. We no longer need the in part, in part combination in order to operate. All right, well, that uh, was what we dealt with a week ago in the cessation of these gifts. Uh, the next session, uh, section deals with the permanent gifts. And if we have time tonight, I'm going to come back to this section and we can work our way through. Uh, we have taught it before. It is available on the MP3 file and in earlier series. 
Uh, but the 11 permanent gifts, um, and I don't mind going through them just really quickly. I want to make sure I save enough time, though, tonight to talk about uh, the section after that is how to recognize your spiritual gift, because that's kind of where the, the rubber meets the road, really. It was where a lot of people say, great, I learned about all these gifts, but which one do I have, right? And uh, you can't turn to Third Timothy and find the verse that says, uh, you know, Bob Bolander, thou shalt be, uh, it's not in there. We don't have a verse in the Bible that says what our gift is and what church we should pastor and who we should marry. These are the, the personal applications that come when we're under conviction and when we're obedient to the divine guidance in, uh, in our life. So we'll talk about that. That's really what I want to spend the bulk of, of this hour dealing with. But for now, though, I don't mind at least reading the list and, and discussing them. The gifts which have an ongoing particular purpose for the edification of the church, they have an ongoing distribution. In other words, if there's still a purpose for the gift, then, then Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit will continue to distribute that gift to believers at the moment of their salvation. And uh, so throughout the entire dispensation of the church, including, of course, the age of the apostles and where we are in the age of the local church. And such gifts include faith, or what I call a faith worker, teacher, helper, administrator, server. That trinity of gifts, so it's sometimes we just lump under the paraclete gift, but it's the exhorter, encourager, comforter. Uh, the one who gives, the leader, the mercy shower, the evangelist and the pastor-teacher, all right? And those are the ones that we can list specifically as being cited in the New Testament. I'm very leery of gifts that are not in the New Testament, but if somebody says they have this gift, well, show me the verse. Uh, um, otherwise, we lose the anchor, see? And, 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 and there's a lot of creativity and imagination, and I think people have found realms in which they serve. I would submit to them that what they're finding is realms of ministry that is a, a variety of the application of a specific giftedness that's found in the Scriptures. I wouldn't want to go beyond the Scriptures and claim that, oh, well, I have the gift of such and such, and when there's no authority in the Scripture to, uh, to ground that. And so um, others beyond... Now, and we got here... Remember the chart we looked at last week? We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 and the early part of the chapter, and then later in the chapter, and then Romans 12, and then Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter. So we looked throughout the New Testament for the listings of giftedness. And we listed them all and came up with a list of 20, nine that were temporary, 11 that are permanent. And that's how we got here. Um, since writing this notebook and in the years following, the, the one that keeps the people ask me about uh, is, is simply in the, in the, if you back up the chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, because it does use the word gift, but I, it's just not used in a charisma kind of way or in a, in a, in a local church kind of way. It's talking about celibacy. And it, you're really better off to be, uh, to be married. Uh, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is normal unless by extraordinary circumstances God provides. Uh, you know, Paul does say that, uh, that it'd be great if everybody was like him. But I think he knows that not everybody's like him and, uh, in this. So First uh, Corinthians 7, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. So this is what's normal. This is God's provision in marriage for the man and the woman and for those, uh, the, 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 the physical needs and, and all of the, the things there. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, the likewise also the wife to her husband. This is a part of God's design in providing for this, this uh, aspect. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Each member of the marriage belongs to the other. 
and uh, not yourself. So stop depriving one another or defrauding one another, stealing from one another. The term is a term of fraud and theft as it applies to withholding something that rightly belongs to somebody else. Uh, Except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and to come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So if you as a marriage decide to forego the marital activity uh, for a season, for a, a period of time, in order to concentrate on prayer and fasting and the, the spiritual dynamic of things, then, then you can do that as an exception to the rule, but the general rule is, uh, is otherwise. All right, then uh, verse 7, I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift, and there's the word, has his own gift from God, one in this matter and another in that. And so on the basis of the word gift showing up in that verse, there are people that want to take and add the gift of celibacy to, um, to the list of, of permanent church-age spiritual gifts. All right, And uh, just throwing it out there so you're aware of it, um, I don't subscribe to it, I don't accept it as, as a phallic gift, because, you know, I mean, I can, I can outline what a pastor does, what an evangelist does, what a giver does, what a, you know, all these gifts, and I know what they do in the flock, among the body, to edify the body, uh, but the gift of celibacy, I, I said, well, what do they do in church, you know, besides not have sex? I mean, what, what do they do in the church to edify the body? And I mean, I get it, all right, but they serve and they're dedicated and because they're not married, man, they got time on their hands and, and they're able to do a lot of different things. But that's in realms of service and uh, different effects, not necessarily in what we would think of as the Holy Spirit's empowerment for a gift. All right. And so in your notebook, uh, you'll have the summary here, the faith worker, uh, and this is as per uh, the gift of faith that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, also in 1 Corinthians 13 too. Um, a lot of people make this a temporary gift and make it one of the temporary gifts, and so they break it down into 10 and 10, 10 which passed away in the first century and 10 that abide for the, the entirety of the church. But uh, I and several others, Walvert I noticed and some others, take this gift and make it a permanent gift. Uh, largely in the part of the fact that we don't see this as the in-part, in-part circumstance. Faith is always an operational function for the church. Faith, uh, uh, hope, love, abide these three. The greatest of these is love. Faith specifically is an abiding function for the totality of the church age. And it would be unthinkable for faith to, uh, to conclude. And so whereas we all bear faith as a fruit of the Spirit, believers that are gifted in this capacity are above and beyond. Uh, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, manifest the Holy Spirit through an extraordinary proportion of faith, enabling them to come alongside and help other believers, maybe that are weak in faith. Anyway, you can read the thumbnail sketches in each of these. Also, each one of these thumbnail sketch paragraphs is getting expanded in our 730 hour, where we're broadening out each of these paragraphs into fuller studies on an intermediate and advanced basis. Teacher, likewise, is a separate gift from pastor-teacher, and yet it does occupy the teaching functions. You know, local church. Helper. Oh, helper is so vital. And, uh, and it's, a lot of people just jump to it as a default, say, well, I don't know what else I am or what else I should do, so I'll just, I'll just be a helper. And, and just assume by default, we'll just run back to that one as, as a fail-safe or a fallback position. Uh, but, but actually, it is, it is contributory to the ministry getting done. It adds your empowerment to their empowerment and what they're doing. And so it serves as a, as a force multiplier, if you think, think of it in those terms, for uh, the pursuit of ministry engagements and, uh, and actively involved in the pursuit of those ministry engagements. 
And so uh, if you are a helper to an evangelist, uh, where are you going to be? You're going to be out there with that evangelist. You're going to be engaged with them in that work of service. And uh, likewise, if you're a helper to an apostle, a helper to a, well, we don't have apostles today, but back then, I think Paul, I think Timothy and Titus were largely, he had, the apostle Paul had a lot of helpers and they were engaged in his apostolic ministry on that basis. All right. Administrator, uh, really a pilot, one who steers pilots or guides and uh, guidance is necessary for all believers. But those that are gifted with this particular gift manifest the Holy Spirit through an extraordinary grace enablement that is able to pilot particular ministries through dangerous waters. And uh, kind of a neat um, troubleshooter type of gift in ministry. And, I, and a believer that's really able to be called upon during a season of, of, uh, of a, a particular focus or struggle or, or something of that nature, such as uh, when we relocated the building or moved from Woodrow over to here or some, some other things uh, that are just vital in a, in a, in a ministry pursuit. And uh, the giftedness here is, is huge in the success of a particular endeavor. The diaconia giftedness of the server minister related to the title of deacon, but not necessary to be a deacon. Deacons can have any gift. The paraclete, this is the tr- triple function of exhort, encourage, comfort, all of the paracleto activity. And how vital is this? And this is one I think has been ignored. Until recently, anyway, until we really focus more attention on it, because it is a communication gift, and, and you get different gifted men that find that they feel they're a communicator, so they try to pastor, but they're not pastors by gift, they're exhorters by gift, encouragers by gift, and they find that they're really better suited to come alongside rather than standing in front, and uh, the whole language of parakaleo is to call alongside, and so they, they thrive in the, uh, the alongside ministries can actually complement pastoral ministries very well. The gift of giving. Every believer, of course, should give, but these believers are provided the capacity above and beyond. Leader. Remarkably enough, this is not the pastor-teacher gift. This is the leader gift, and it is distinct. And in some cases, I mean, it's great to work in tandem with a pastor-teacher. They shouldn't be at odds with one another or fighting over things. But you want leadership in a variety of ministries. You want leadership among your deacons, leadership among your Sunday school teachers, leadership. In fact, I can't think of a ministry that would would struggle if if they had additional leadership provided for the uh, pursuit of that ministry. The showing of mercy, sometimes uh, synonymous with hospitality, because the hospitality ministry is really an expression of, of showing mercy. And we've got Tabitha in the New Testament as a great example of that. Yeah, I know I'm going very quickly, and I told you that. I apologize. Like I say, if we have time, we can come back and explore any of these at your request a little bit deeper. Evangelist, pastor, teacher. Also, don't lose sight of the fact. Some people take evangelist out of, of everything they study. They can finish a study on spiritual gifts. They can learn all the doctrine there is to learn on spiritual gifts. And then they can walk away from the class when the closing prayer is done and completely miss the point with respect to the evangelist gift. And they think, well, the evangelist is just a super gospel giver that just, you know, spits on somebody and they get saved. And it's just, you know, no. The gift of evangelism edifies the body of Christ like the gift of pastor teacher, the gift of leader, the gift of exhorter, the gift of helper, the gift of giver. Every gift is, inc- is designed to edify the body of Christ, including the evangelist. The evangelist is expected to edify the body of Christ. 
as well as, of course, evangelizing the, the lost and dying world. But we all do that. We all do that. The empowerment of the giftedness, though, is directed towards the building up of the body of Christ. And that's, uh, that's a neat function as well. All right. Recognizing spiritual gifts. You ever seen those magic eight balls in the toy stores? The little gimmick shops, right? You probably had one when you were a kid. And, uh, or you gave one to your kid when he was little or whatever. But you get these, these magic eight balls and you shake it up and then you look in there and your little answer floats to the top. And uh, I, I don't advise using that method <laughs> for anything. Um, clearly, not for recognizing your spiritual gift. However, um, tragically, I, I think that methods not dissimilar to that uh, are used all the time. Um, and, and I think it's, it's sad. I, I think it's, uh, there's just a, a kind of a, a weakness on the part of, of a lot of churches and ministries and individuals that um, you wonder, what, did, what biblical instruction did you pursue? What, what, what legitimate uh, methods of divine guidance did you employ in order to convince yourself that this was your gift, your calling, your ministry, and, and so forth? And, and I found a real um, inability in, in the part of a lot of folks to, to really discuss and define in, in certain ways um, how they knew that they were being called, how they knew these things. And, and so I think it's useful for us to, to have the teaching, to have an anchor in the New Testament, whereby we have procedures, we have uh, processes, we have principles that we're applying, and we're laying these before the Lord in prayer. And so that that when the calling is identified and when it is submitted to and when it is pursued, that we have like-mindedness in this, that, uh, that we have um, nothing but, but love and support for one another in the pursuit of these things in, uh, in different ways. If that doesn't make sense, then uh, I'll expand. All right? Because identification of your spiritual gift is not child's play. It should not utilize a child's toy. The bottom line reality is that each believer's spiritual gift is a matter for personal application of the will of God for your life. It is the will of God. Your giftedness is a will of God issue. Because God's the one that gave you your gift. And God's the one that designed the good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is a will of God issue. And if he's laid before you, the race that's set before you, that includes your giftedness, the ministry pursuits, the achievement of the effects, everything that he's designed for you from the moment of your salvation until your departure from, from this mortality and everything in between. And so in seeking his will, uh, we, we apply those principles we learned back in Thelematology on how to discern the will of God. How do I know what the will of God is? How do I apply the principles from Scripture in order to be subjectively guided? And, the, and this makes some folks uncomfortable, but we've got to deal with it. Because like I say, there's no verse of the Bible that says, you know, Mary Sharon Schneider in 1990 and, and, or 1991 and, and, and Pastor Austin Bible Church starting in 1995. And, and these, these principles are legitimate principles of divine guidance and they are grounded in the Word of God, but the specific applications are not stated in the Word of God. Right? Am I making sense? So you're following this. All right. So... Um, these are the principles we learned in thelematology to study to show yourself approved. That we want you want to be a student in the Word of God. You want to be abiding in the Word of God. If you're living in the Word of God with the mental abiding principle there, then you are truly His disciples. 
consulting the wisdom of elders. And, um, and it's, it's the, the blessing and the benefit there whereby you, you get them not only counseling you, but also praying on your behalf, also seeking the will with you. Okay? Because remember, you're asking for a fish. Is he going to give you a snake? You know, when you're asking for the will of God, saying, Father, I'm, here I am, send me. You know, I must be about my Father's business. Send me. And you're, and you're humble before him, and you're asking for him to guide. You're asking him to open doors. Is he going to give you a snake? Is he going to give you a stone? No, he's going to give you the, the loaf of bread. He's going to give you the fish. All of these are the principles that we have uh, in the, grounded in the Scripture that allow us to move forward subjectively in our personal experience. Ask the Father in prayer. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. But you see, you've got to ask humbly, and you've got to ask according to his will, and you've got to be ready to accept the answer. And you can't, uh, you can't, uh, you know, um, how many times do we couch a prayer with, Father, if it could be in your will, and then we say such and such, such and such, but what we really wanted to say was, Father, of course it has to be your will. Make it your will. This is what we want your will to be, Father. And, and you lay out the, the request. Well, that's not a request. That's a demand. And, you know, we've got to be humble before the Lord to say, not our will, but thine be done. And, uh, you know, are you willing? And, and so consider all of these gifts, 11 of them. Uh, unless you're a woman, then you've got 10. A woman is not going to be a pastor teacher. But, you know, examine all of these gifts and then consider, Father, whichever one you have for me, I will do that. I want to be what you've designed me to be, and I want to pursue these things for your glory. And, uh, and, and being willing to accept what he provides is so huge. Asking the Lord to close doors is also huge, because that's a statement of humility. That's, that's, that's imitating Christ when he said, not my will, but thine be done. Saying, Father, I, I, this is what I think I'm doing, and this is where I'm going, and if that's not right, then Father, close that door overrule, uh, block that from happening, keep me from stepping out of your will in that regard. And then, and that's, that's one of the great treasures in the world because when those doors start closing, it's not only is that in response to your prayer, but it also it's, it's keeping you on the track that you need to be. It's keeping you from venturing into realms that uh, you don't need to be in. Consider the uh, carefully providential circumstances and evaluate them according to biblical understanding. You know, you, you start to see the things that God has placed there, and you go, wow, wonder why he placed that there, okay? You're like the Ethiopian eunuch going, wow, water. Kind of seems like I could get baptized right now, right? What, what would hinder me from getting baptized? And Philip says, great idea, here we are, this is it, let's do it. And so he baptizes him, okay? You know, and, and so evaluate these things. When... Uh, Years ago, we were, we were really wrestling over the old building and, and considering, you know, Pastor Cliff was in his training and we were uh, adding more families and we were running out of space. And in fact, my family got evicted out of the, the parsonage so the, the parsonage could become a, a Sunday school building, right? I say evicted, but they very graciously, the deacons provided a housing allowance and we got to go purchase a home. So we, uh, we, we bought a home, and when we were safely moved in the new home, then, and only then, did they remodel the old home and turn that into a, a, an education building. Um, and we start looking at circumstances. We start wondering, well, are we going to expand here? Are we going to sell and move? What are we going to do? And then God brings us uh, Scott Grubb, <laughs> okay? And we get to know Scott and Celia Grubb, and they become members of Austin Bible Church. We start to get to know them a little bit. And, you know, well, hey, well, you know, what kind of work do you do? And, well, I'm, I'm an architect. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, we've been praying. 
Imagine that. You know, have you ever designed any churches? <laughs> Would you be curious? And, and lo and behold, we just keep praying, we keep praying. And, and so the provision of an architect was like water to the Ethiopian eunuch saying, well, gee, we should build a church. And, uh, and, and so we have the circumstances there, okay? If a $600,000 check shows up in the mail and you go, hmm, circumstances, what do I do? You know, well, hey, you know, let's pay off that debt. Let's uh, finish this construction loan and not have a, a building loan, a, a mortgage. And, and, and so consider carefully the providential circumstances and evaluate them according to the biblical understanding of God's will. Now, you've got to be cautious with this because some people go wild at all kinds of things and they find circumstances here and there, whatever. Uh, you'll notice this is step four out of five. We don't, we're not doing this first off the bat, okay? This only comes after we're in prayer, we're in Bible study, we're consulting elders, we're wrestling with the Lord over this. And it's while we're engaged in that process then. It's like we've been wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night and it's right before morning that he dislocates our hip, <laughs> okay? But it's right before morning that uh, before we let go, um, something happens and we go, okay, this means something. We need to do something with this. And we have uh, patterns that we follow there. And then finally, examine your heart motivation. Examine your heart motivation. What is it that's, that's locking this in? What is it? Why can you not shake this idea? Why does the Holy Spirit keep impressing this on your thinking? Okay, Assuming, of course, that it is the Holy Spirit doing this. Which it will be if you're following all these steps along the way. It's not your own imagination. It's not your own desires. It's not your own want to. Because you surrendered those a long time ago. Long before you ever get to this process. I like um, 2 Samuel chapter 7 in this connection. This illustrates a lot of what we illustrate and what we talk about in this, in this process. Um, you're familiar with 2 Samuel chapter 7. David wanted to build a temple. And, uh, and it's, you know, a good illustration for what we're talking about tonight. It has nothing to do with spiritual gifts, but it is a will of God issue. And it is a believer that wants to do something and, and, and believes that this is right for them to do. And then he learns otherwise. Okay. So it came about when the king lived in his house and on a lot of levels, on a lot of levels. Okay. You know, a man that, or a woman, a, a believer, an older believer, an older man, an older woman, Somebody that's just saturated with doctrine, saturated with the Word of God, that's constantly in prayer, that's constantly growing. In my thinking, in my mind, because that's a heart that's being transformed by the Word of God. That's a heart that's being drawn after Christ. That's a heart that's, that's, be, that's in His hand and being molded. Okay, As opposed to, say, you know, another believer that you can just imagine, a hypothetical believer that, that Shows up once or twice a month, never attends prayer meeting, basically never cracks open a Bible until he's in trouble looking for some kind of answers. Um, not being renewed in the spirit of their mind, not consistently growing. They're, they're just as worldly as most unbelievers you know. Um, now, somebody in that spiritual capacity, in pretty poor spiritual health, um, if, if they've got a heart's desire... Uh, I, I would not necessarily weigh that very heavily because that's not a heart that's at the moment being drawn and transformed and molded and used. You understand what I'm saying? Am I just rambling tonight? I'm hoping this makes sense. So with Nathan and David here, this is a heart. David is a man after God's own heart and these these issues are what they are. And uh, so he says, go, do all that is in your mind for the Lord is with you. 
But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, don't do this, okay? Go and say to my servant David, no. The answer is no. Thus says the Lord, are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? And when you go through the response here, we learn very quickly that the idea itself is not a bad idea. Just the problem is it's not for David to do. It's a generation too early. Solomon's going to be doing this. Solomon is the one the father designed to do this. And so this is, this is a great example of a prayer that gets the no-yes answer, okay? The combination no-yes, no to the specific request, but yes to the underlying desire. And uh, sometimes God answers yes, yes, and sometimes he answers no, no, and sometimes he answers yes, no, um, in, in, in different combinations, okay? In this case, no, you can't build a temple, but yes, your, your desire will be fulfilled. It'll be your son who does it. And we have a, a good illustration there. So this too, by the way, is a great example for us. If, if you're seeking the will of God for your giftedness and, and you're ready to proceed and you're growing in a conviction that it might be gift A, nothing wrong with, with beginning on that step, beginning on that road and starting to prepare that gift. And then, and then when God, if, when God does stop and say, no, no, here's where I'm taking you. We're fine. Okay. All right. That's great. You don't get hurt in the meantime in, uh, in pursuing things of the Lord. See, and to me, David's response here is, is a great example of humility. When he gets the answer, no, he just worships. And, uh, the response is, is one of tremendous humility. Uh, I think in verse 18, you spot that. David the king went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And he, and he just celebrates. Wow, his son gets to do, build the temple. And he's not pouting and he's not gloomy. And um, it, is, uh, it is extraordinary. And, and he goes so far as to, to take steps. He funds the thing, right? He makes an alliance with King Hiram. He, he does everything he can to prepare the way, to pave the way for Solomon's success in the next generation. That's, that's marvelous. I think it's a great example because I've, I've known far too many believers that, that do the opposite. They just pout or they get angry. They get their feelings hurt because they really wanted to do this and God wouldn't let them, that big meanie. You know, who does he think he is? And, 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 and so we get so offended, the human gets so offended because they were so ready to do their thing to, to make God happy or whatever. Really, they were doing their own thing to toot their own horn, I think. But whatever the case, when they don't get to do that, well, you know, I'll show you, and I just won't do anything. Fine. Okay, great. If I can't, uh, whatever, if I can't, you know, great, then I won't do anything. See? And that's not the right attitude either. You know, if he closes the door, thank him for closing that door. I say, thank you, Lord. That's not what you designed. There's something better that you have designed. So, in addition to the steps that we have here, the, um, and this is all that's in the, the basic notebook, we also developed a series of C's, if you might recall, a series of C's for those of you that were here. Uh, consider, the consideration, the, the uh, confirmation, the conviction. Remember these C's? And so we, we went through a list of C's, and we start with consider. The, the First Corinthians says, consider your calling, beloved. All right? Consider. In other words, chew on it, think about it, pray over it, consider. Think about this, think about the, the, the pros and cons, the pluses, the minuses, think about the calling, think about just how God has suited you and designed you, and consider. 
And then as, you, as you're praying over these things and you're considering these things, if one of them starts to stand out, then stir that up. Paul told Timothy to kindle afresh the gift that is within you. All right? And that kindle afresh. I love that passage in 1 Timothy about kindling it afresh. So we consider. And then we start to find some confirmation. Again, that's through evaluating the circumstances. Some confirmation. And it may be that we're the last ones to, to accept the confirmation because, uh, you know, our wife sees it, our mother saw it, and other people see it, okay? And, and, and you're probably one among, because it's so subjective when it's you. And so, but other people can encourage you in this regard saying, man, you just, you, you, you keep encouraging me over and over and over again. Do you ever think you might have an encouragement gift? No, I never thought about that, really. And, and but allow for that confirmation to start to, Add weight to the things that you're considering. To the things that you're considering. And, and in this whole process, in the consideration, in the confirmation, keep, keep talking to the Lord about it. Keep making it a matter of prayer. Saying, Father, I'm starting to think that I might be a pastor. Father, I'm starting to think I might be an evangelist. Father, I'm starting to think. And so in, in, in this conversation with the Lord, as you are walking Him through, I say walking Him through, you're walking yourself through the process, Say, Father, I'm, I'm starting to think that you might be calling me as a pastor teacher. So you're asking him, Father, I, provide the confirmation, provide the, the encouragement to pursue that, or throw a wet blanket on it, close that door, discourage me from that, and point me where I need to be. Because right now I'm headed this direction, Father. And if you don't close this door, I'm, I'm going this way. <laughs> okay? Does this make sense? And see, this is, again, back to that fish and that stone. You're asking for a fish. He's not going to give you a snake. You're asking for a loaf of bread. He's not going to give you a stone. And we're applying these principles in our prayer life. And then comes the confirmation. And then comes the conviction. And you reach a particular point. And I think it's described in the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul describes it. Jesus describes it. I think we can find several examples whereby you come under a conviction that this is what you must be doing. Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. And he got there at the age of 12, right? That's a bit earlier than most of us get there. But, but we get there at some point and say, man, this is his calling in my life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing such and such. Okay? And we come under the point of conviction. And uh, the Apostle Paul said, woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. And he talks about the, uh, you know, if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. And he talks about you know, really both sides of that, that free will and, and compulsory uh, gift and calling that, uh, that, we all, that we all have. So I think we reach a point of conviction. And that's a beautiful thing. And saying, Father, thank you. And, and you embrace that conviction. And still, he's free to overrule like he did with, through Nathan. He's free to put the brakes on something and say, oh, no, no, that's not it. But you come under a conviction. And the power of this conviction is huge, as the Scripture describes it, where you know you know whom you have believed. You know whom you have uh, entrusted against that day. You know because you are under that conviction, the way the Scripture describes it. And, and it's, it's, when, you're, when you're at that point, what, what can shake you from that? I, I wouldn't doubt my gift, my calling any more than I would doubt my salvation. See, I know I'm saved. I know I have eternal life. And I have just the same conviction as to my giftedness and calling and, and what he's doing. Okay? 
you know, 21 years later in 5,200 classes, you kind of catch a clue at some point along the way that maybe there's, a, there's an empowerment in this. Okay, the Holy Spirit seems to be working here. And you observe that empowerment. And that way he gets all the glory and you can't claim a thing. Following the conviction then comes a confession. And the passages are clear on this in Timothy about making the good confession. And why is this significant? I think confession is a, is a great privilege in, in ministry. Uh, Jesus himself made the good confession in the presence of Pontius Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said, you know, if, if it had not been given to you, you would have no authority over me. And, and to be able to stand and publicly declare to believers, to unbelievers, to humans, to angels, to whoever, hey, as for me and my that to fight the good fight and, and that good confession that he made in the presence of many witnesses. And when you reach that point of confession, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extraordinary step in your Christian growth. I think it's, um, it's also a, a bullseye on your back, <laughs> you know, because you've crossed a line into a realm there whereby um, you've made that good confession. So you better fight the good fight. Okay? You familiar with the passages I'm talking about here? They're not in the Basics Notebook. This was something we developed after the Basics Notebook. First Timothy 6.12. And here's uh, the final warnings he's giving in the last chapter of 1 Timothy. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of it. Say, make this positional reality an experiential realization. Take hold of this. Eternal life. We discussed this in uh, the reaping of eternal life in our Galatians 6 material. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is not 1 John 1.9 confessing your sins. <laughs> this is a different confession altogether. It is a humble ghetto, but you're saying the same thing that God is saying. And God has called you to service and you agree with that calling. And you say, yes, Lord, you make the good confession. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Was that a first John 1, 9? Was Jesus confessing his sins? Of course not. This is a different homologato application. This is a confession in, uh, in a glorious way as a public testimony. As a public testimony. It's kind of funny. Sometimes when people find out I'm a pastor, it changes conversations. You know, and it shouldn't. Why does it change conversations? I'm going to party the other night, and we're talking about all kinds of stuff, Army stuff, Navy stuff, political stuff, all kinds of Christmas stuff. And then, uh, well, what kind of work do you do? You know, oh, I'm a pastor. Boy, did that conversation change for the rest of the night. You know, and it shouldn't, but it did. It always does. All right. Whatever the case may be. But uh, you make the good confession and you declare, I'm in full-time Christian service. I'm, I'm serving the Lord. And this is what he's, this is my, his calling in my life. And here's what we're doing. And that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've had uh, uh, consideration, uh, confirmation, conviction, confession, 
then ultimately we have a, a consecration. The, the moment for a pastor anyway and an evangelist when you reach the laying on of hands and the ordination service uh, to keep it in the C motif, uh, calling it consecration, where the man is set apart, where he is sanctified and set apart and identified as uh, one that uh, proclaims the gospel is to earn his living by the gospel. And he's set apart in, uh, in those ways. So anyway, that string of C's at some point needs to find its way into a written form because this, we developed this class after the basic series was complete and taught it in a, in a PMW format and never has actually ended up in a, in a notebook, but it needs to at some point end up in a notebook where we can uh, incorporate that uh, as well in, in, into some of these studies. All right. Any questions on these matters that we're looking at here tonight or anything on how do I determine my gift and and uh, in, in all these things. And by the way, it, it, I recommend wholeheartedly, um, you know, until until he opens your eyes to see it, that you just get busy. All right. That you not for the sake of being busy, but for the sake of bearing fruit and being productive and 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 being engaged. And uh, and especially in, in your youth, like Timothy, we saw this morning, get plugged into somebody else's ministry and become a helper, become a, you know, and, and just join in what they're doing and find as you're, in your, as you're pursuing those ministry pursuits, your own particular giftedness may, may exhibit itself and may shine forth. You'll start to observe the empowerment. The key issue is I like to focus on the empowerment. What is it? It's a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, to each one, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation, that means you feel it. You experience it. It's very subjective. You can't see the wind, but when it hits you, you feel it. You go, ooh, that's the wind. Okay? And so when it hits you, when you experience it, when it's manifest, then you subjectively have just identified the, the how, when, and where that that empowerment is happening. And you start to identify, wow, it seems to be happening in these settings. It seems to be happening with these people. It seems to be happening in these endeavors. And you start to see these things. All right? There's a manifestation of the Spirit. And so uh, there, there may be other things that, that you do, that you enjoy, that, that seem to have success. Don't, don't gauge it on success or what you think is success. It's got to come down to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And that's what will indicate the giftedness in the empowerment of what it is that you find yourself doing. All right. In my own case, um, it was interesting because uh, it came out of a season in my teenage years where I wasn't walking very well. And, and uh, when, when the Lord brought me out of that and recovered from that darkness... Um, I was starving. I was like a, a starving man in the desert. I was devouring as much food as I could. I was drinking as much as I could. And I found that God was so gracious in that. I, I think I had a, a closet full of tapes that I pulled out and, and listened to a whole year's worth of tapes in, in three weeks. It was just constant, constant, nonstop saturation with truth. One tape after another tape after another tape back in the cassette tape era. But uh, anyway, and, and doing all these cassette tapes... And then uh, talking to my roommate, talking to some other people, and, and they, they weren't raised like I was, but in fact, my roommate was raised Catholic. But uh, we start talking about these things, and, and he had a lot of questions, and other guys had a lot of questions, and, and I found that I was really enjoying the questions. And I was able to answer those questions. I was able to give explanations, and the things that 
I hadn't thought about in years and years, but they were still in my frame of reference. They were still buried down deep in the soul somewhere. And the Holy Spirit dredged them up and brought them out and launched them forth. And, and, and I remember thinking, well, this is, this is, this is insane. <laughs> this is, human memory shouldn't remember these things. How, how am I remembering these things? But it was the Holy Spirit bringing it out and, and waking me up and all these things were coming alive. And, and, and so I observed the empowerment and I observed the role of the Holy Spirit in, in recall and in, in explanation and in teaching and all these things led me then very shortly after to go back home and to talk to my childhood pastor in one of the two. The other one was out of the ministry at that time and, uh, and say, how do you know if you're a, how do you know if you're a pastor? How do you know if that's your gift? How do you learn? And, 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 uh, and this was, this was, uh, just a, a dear time in, in my memory. Am I thinking back to the to the event. And so uh, the idea that you'll know when it hits you is like when the wind hits you. You don't see it coming, but when it hits you, you know it. And, and that's, that's a reality. The scripture describes that. And, and uh, I don't want us to be, um, I don't want us to be uh, uh, fearful of that. I don't want us to, to dismiss that as emotionalism or, or uh, charismatic, uh, you know, um, I think some, some doctrinal folks would, would shy away from that and say, oh, well, that's just experiential emotionalism. That's just a charismatic experience kind of a thing. Well, it's always going to be subjective when it's you trying to decide what, what it is that God is calling you to do. You've got to identify yourself. And, and that's why we talk about the procedures that we do in, uh, in these things. Is that making sense? See how this works? Okay. So um, it says, consider your calling. Do we have a question here? Okay. Um, Chris, can we get a microphone over here, please? Eliezer has a question. Are you awake? <laughs> I'm teasing. Yes, you're awake. Are the C sequential? Um, for the most part, I kind of gave them in the order that they typically tend to happen. Uh, I, I suspect that, you know... As a general rule, that's going to be the order they come in. That the consideration will precede the confirmation, will precede the conviction. Um, I, w- I would really ask somebody if, if if they come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I'm really convicted that I should be such and such. You know, and, and it happens. You know, we're going to be missionaries in Timbuktu. All right. Well, what brought you to that conviction? Okay, because this is news to me. I would have loved to have been involved in the process that got you here. <laughs> okay. um, what did you consider? Did you consider not being a missionary? Did you consider if you allow elders, if you allow others to share in those considerations, then when the confirmation start coming, you're not the only one getting the confirmation. Others are getting the confirmation. And then when the conviction comes, yes, it's still subjective. It's still your personal conviction. Nevertheless, others can share along with that in, in, a, in a reinforcing kind of way. So uh, I, I think it is, it's good to keep it in the, the general order that we, that we gave that in. All right? Uh, bring it up front here for Warren, please. There we go. I'm not hearing it. Should be a little green light if it's on. Ethel and I went to a Bible college where the emphasis was on foreign missions. Uh-huh. At the time, more than half the graduates were on the foreign mission field. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the elite of the campus were those who had decided which foreign field they were going to go to. 
and the rest of us were second-class citizens. <laughs> wow. These elite were wearing their their um, were wearing their coats of many colors, mm-hmm. and uh, were identified. Um, and of course, that for the rest of us, then the gr- the pressure was very, very great to make a similar declaration. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering how to avoid this in um, in um, selecting people for service uh, in the local church. Right. I really like your idea of telling a person to get to work. Mm-hmm. Associate with somebody who's doing something, and get get your preparation started. Yeah, let me uh, give my, a couple of my, scriptures uh, on that. My, my, yeah, my um, uh, tendency would be I wouldn't even discuss uh, with someone what their spiritual gift was until they had had two or three years of solid preparation and experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that so that they would have a time to digest these scriptures use them, and, and so forth. Would would you say that's... Um, oh, yeah. I, w- I would agree with that. I think it's 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 useful, particularly for, for ministry callings. You know, uh, giftedness is one thing, a ministry pursuit is something else. But I think uh, getting busy and, and serving where you are is huge. And uh, believers don't want to sit around and do nothing until their calling comes, and then they go off to do this great big thing they've been dreaming of all this time. I think defies the pattern that we have, that we're faithful with little things and we're entrusted with bigger things. And that, uh, you know, Joseph would have never been at the right hand of Pharaoh had he not been faithful in prison and Potiphar's house and in the well and in his father's house. And each step along the way was preparing Joseph for the next step of his life. I think in Acts 13, there were in Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and, and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there's Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, and he's five in the batting order, you know. And uh, you think, wow, you know, how deep is your bench when when uh, Saul of Tarsus is is your number five go-to guy, you know. Um, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, and so I think that it's valuable that you that you're engaged, you're busy, you're in a pursuit, and you're serving. And and, and you notice there were probably you know dozens of other people that that were, you know, not doing much of anything. And that's not who the Holy Spirit selected here. He selected Barnabas and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And I think, you know, God uses prepared people and the Lord uses um, uh, people that are that are that have the humility to serve and exhibit that in their service wherever they find themselves. And uh, and then those are the that's the training ground for moving on to the next thing. As we saw Joseph, uh, uh, this morning, Joshua was Moses' attendant from his youth. We're going to say more to that next hour because we're going to talk about the server minister gift at seven thirty. But Joshua was Moses' attendant from his youth, setting up the tent and stretching out the cot and rolling out the sleeping bag and brewing the coffee and washing the the, the breakfast dishes and, and dumping the bedpans and whatever else he was doing. Uh, Joshua was an attendant from his youth. And, and you think about the training God puts you through. David was out in the flocks watching the, watching the sheep in the wee hours of the night and whatever, and this preparation for becoming king to shepherd the people of God. So I, th- I think that, as you were saying, that it's, it's useful 
uh, to to grow, to study, to be developing your doctrinal understanding, and to be plugged in in the local assembly. Really, this is the place where we're equipped for the work of service. Much of the work of service happens beyond the, these walls, happens out there in the world, happens in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, our community, and, and around the world. So uh, these things, uh, I think, speak to that as well. Um, there's other... Uh, indicators also with respect to this in first timothy that that come back to uh faithfulness and little things and being entrusted with bigger things and 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 patterns that we have there i think too um not the 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 text in in corinthians where all the giftedness we don't esteem the gifts that are considered less valuable are actually more necessary and, and we don't hold any giftedness as superior to any other giftedness. And then we're all part of the body. And if part of the body is, is missing or malfunctioning, the whole body suffers. And so uh, it, it's, it's uh, I think, uh, a wrong approach to be glamorizing a particular thing, like a missionary field or something of that nature. Um, or, of course, the, the glamorous life of a pastor teacher. Uh, that, that, that can be misleading. And, and a young man needs to be disabused of that very quickly. In in regard, in fact, that was I was a struggle I had from my childhood because my childhood pastor was a, was a handsome guy, and and charismatic, and everyone loved him, and he was just as out, as he was kind of the polar opposite of me in so many ways, um, you know, and, and and it got him in trouble. He actually failed and and and, and was out of ministry for a season, um, but that's the kind of thing that uh, that we want to disabuse anybody of any kind of idea of superiority in uh, in that, and I think. In First Corinthians, we talk about that. Something greater, a greater way is the is the application of love. I will show you a still more excellent way, and it's the the reminder of how love is employed in all of our gifts. Um, but really, what it comes down to is, what did God call you to be? Because the gift you have, you got the moment you were saved, and it's not a matter of of uh, putting in your request to get whatever you want to be. It's about being humble before what you are designed to be. Because you are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's, um, we sang a hymn to that effect last month about going somewhere or staying somewhere. And uh, whether I stay or whether I go, that uh, I am where the Lord wants me and, I, and I'm serving him. And that, wasn't that the hymn we sang last month or hymn of the month for November? Okay. I'll go where, yeah. And it's uh, those, those ideas, a bit more sanctified than, you know, should I stay or should I go? But, uh, I mean... <laughs> It's it's uh it's a principle. All right, uh, question here on the front row. We bring the microphone over to Robert, please. With respect to the previous comment and things you just said, in my case, back way way back ago, I was a new believer, and people were saying you're a natural professor teacher, mm-hmm. probably because I was studious and. Uh, always reading, always had this weird mine of knowledge that nobody else seemed to know anything about. Yeah, weird minds are a good indicator. Well, what, that's it may be, but what happened was it obscured what the Holy Spirit was trying to show me. Mm-hmm. And then when, when it was obvious that in a lot of ways I didn't care about people enough to be a pastor, mm-hmm. I was a, a vein of selfishness running through me, um, and I kind of just shoved it back to teacher and preparation was sort of in that direction for the next few years but that was still masking hmm. 
what the Holy Spirit was actually having me do, and it confused me for years and years and years before I finally started to uh, consider what it might be. But once you started considering the paraclete, right. you started to consider, oh, here's a realm of teaching, and you obtain the teaching, and you start to consider that teaching, then the consideration quickly got the confirmation and became the conviction. The, uh, conviction. Yeah, but yeah. It, w- it was masked for a long time by outside pressures and mm-hmm. and I will say maybe a little glamour. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that too. The uh, the external pressures are huge and and I I've I've struggled a try. Uh, Ralph did this too. Ralph Ralph would never put pressure on a young man as if uh you know, I must be a pastor because Ralph thinks I'm a pastor. You know, um and and in some cases it's irritating. It's frustrating, you know. Um I wouldn't flat out answer or kind of give a non-answer and say, well, are you considering this? You're praying about this? And, you know, I, I was myself convicted months prior, but, you know, I, I want him to come to that decision himself. Same thing with Dan, same thing with Bob. It's, it's doubly hard with my son because not only am I his pastor, I'm his father, and I don't want to pressure him if he's not a pastor by gift. See, so I want him to see it for himself. I'm, I want his wife to see it with him. They're heirs together of the grace of life. If she doesn't see it, then that's going to be an issue in their marriage and in the ministry and, and in everything else. Okay, And this too, um, we're running out of time here, but the, the, um, I think that when, when, the, when the man is married, then his wife also better be involved in those prayers. And uh, not that she has a veto or anything, but, but if she's not supportive of what he's doing, then there's issues he's got to resolve first. That if family's not squared away, it's a disqualifier in, in 1 Timothy 3. So you've got to make sure family's on board first, and then uh, a minister pursuit can, can fully be engaged. Um, this is kind of touchy to me at the moment, because this is December, and, and uh, November, December is, is deacon hunting season for me. I'm looking around, grabbing, thinking about men for January and thinking about next year. I, I know the men that are stepping down and, and how many I've got to find to replace. And, but um, I have, years and years and years ago, not part of this church anymore, but a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was uh, a man I was considering as a deacon and, uh, until his wife called me on the phone and said, don't you dare. <laughs> and she said, don't you dare ask him to be a deacon. And I, I well, okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad we had, I'm glad we had this conversation now. And um, anyway, I mean, it was good. It was a good conversation to have and allowed me to follow up with him and with her and to, to learn some things. And and, uh, and uh, you know, if, if there's disharmony there, that's not a good thing. And that, that can't proceed forward on, uh, on that basis. So I like to, too. Also, uh, like last week in Dallas or other functions, I love it when I'm in a strange uh, place and I'm meeting pastors for the first time. Uh, I'm at a banquet, for example, a Gideon banquet or somewhere, and I'm sitting at a table. And, and sometimes, you know, there's older pastors there. And I love talking to them and talking to their wives and asking, you know, did you know he was going to be a pastor when you married him? And that kind of thing. I love that question because I get the funniest answers sometimes. And sometimes they just laugh and laugh and they say, oh, dear Lord, no. And then, you know, but it becomes a great joy to talk about the grace of God and talk about all the ways that he works and some um, extraordinary things. So, um, yeah, the, the external pressure is, uh, is, 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 uh, I think uh, something to keep in mind. You don't want to put expectations on here. Radley got shipped down here from Washington State 
um, into plugging our training ministry because, you know, I first met Radley, he was 15. He was a teenager. And everyone thought, man, he's going to be a pastor someday. He's going to be a pastor someday because he's, he's smart and all of a sudden he's in the scriptures. He loves the Lord. And, and uh, well, he's going to be what God calls him to be. And, uh, and that's the thing. And in the process, along the way, we'll, we'll go through some things. We'll learn some Greek. We'll do some Hebrew. We'll do this and that. None of it's going to hurt him. <laughs> okay? and, uh, and he'll find where his calling is. He'll find what God's doing. And every closed door is a, is a, is a, is a glory, not a disappointment. It's not a disappointment when a, when a door gets closed because it's, a, it's another step closer to identifying what that real open door happens to be. So we can be thankful for that. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll have our break until uh, the 7.30 hour begins. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for tonight, for the blessings that we have to study to show ourselves approved. And I thank you for this basic class that Dan Cross started it way back when, and I'm thankful, Father, that you took him where he needed to be and and uh, allowed allowed me to step in here and complete this this series and just thank you for putting this together the way that you did and uh, we're looking forward to your divine guidance uh, uh, in the new year and uh, the format of things and what we're going to do at the six o'clock hour and uh, how these things are going to uh, pers- uh, happen moving forward father we're humble before you to seek your will and trusting that you will guide us into uh, all these things. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your steps, and I thank you for that. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.